Anyone who's been a part of Emmanuel will know that in the very heart and DNA of the church, uh, the nations are carried. And just taking that uh, kind of to the next level, um, Emmanuel Global Reach looks to school, send, and support. Just want to signal two things in particular uh, for us to really focus on. Um, you know, this weekend is a, a kind of, we believe, a seminal moment. Um, and then building on that, we have uh, moments throughout January and February. Of course, next weekend is the students' weekend. Um, but I want to draw your attention to uh, blessed to be a blessing. You know, whether we will serve as senders and supporters, whether we will go short-term, whether we will spend our lives long-term with and in the nations, we all need schooling as a church in the burden and vision of God as revealed in Scripture. And Sunday morning preach is just, we can just begin to get that. We need more time. And so we're having this two-day conference, first day in January, because it's going to be so impactful. We're giving a whole month for you to absorb that and come for the second. It's going to be 9.30 to 4. We're going to break that time up into 18 parts with three biblical teaching sessions, two sessions of prophetic prayer ministry, storytelling, group activities, um, to enjoy the lunch and coffee breaks, we ask that you sign up on Eventbrite. It's in on Facebook. You'll find it. You can write to that email on screen uh, uh, to get it, or you can ask anyone here. I think it's, it's, it's going viral. <laughs> 35 have signed up already. Um, you want 35 more, don't you? We want... We're looking for, for all to be, thank you, George, yes, and more, and more, and more. Firstly, secondly, I want to signpost us to uh, today the launch of uh, our fifth prayer group for the nations. Mark and Ellen Aspella are leading a prayer for Europe. Uh, so 12.15 in the conference room. And really, we want uh, no obstacle to prevent those who want and feel to be a part of that. Um, children will be there. Children are going to be praying too. If you're worried about anything, any constraint, um, just tell me and Ian will fix it. <laughs> but uh, really, our focus now is on uh, what God is doing today. Ian's just reminded me to sprinkle just before you the prospect that this year uh, short-term teams will be going out from uh, this from from us into different nations. Details to be confirmed. George. So we're going to welcome George Verver to come and speak to us. We had a great time with him last night. We learned some new things we didn't know before. I must tell you that we've been trying to get him here for four years, four years, and he's always said, yes, I'm coming, I'm coming, but we could never quite get all the ducks lined up in a row, but now they've lined up. 
However, a short time ago, we got the news that George Verwer was in hospital with a triple bypass. So then I said to myself, I said to Allison, it's over, it's over, he's not coming. <laughs> and then a short time after that, we got a letter saying, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm sure he hasn't told his doctor that he's here. So don't let anything get back to the hospital in London. Uh, George Verwer started running hard for Jesus when he was 17 years old. And he's never stopped. But in that running hard after Jesus, he said, will you come with me? And he's drawn over the course of these years, work it out from age 17 to 83, 200,000 people, young students, non-students, even people like me, have said, yes, we hear the call. And now they're spread in a 100 nations. Well, how did he do it? Well, he's got many secrets. You can ask him afterwards. Give me the, the top ten secrets. But I'll give you one secret right now. Then we're going to let him tell you the other nine secrets. George Verwer kept a photo album of people that were on his teams. And apparently, well, most likely, I was my photograph was there. And uh, now, <laughs> I, joined, I joined his group in 1965, and I left on the cusp of 1974. So after 1974, I had no organizational relationship with George Verwer. In the year 2000, over a quarter of a century later, I was in London having a very difficult time, and I got a phone call. It was George. I said, George, where are you? He said, well, George, where are you? I'm in London. He said, and I could hear the trains coming. He said, George said, it gets complicated with two Georges, doesn't it? He said, I'm on the platform in Chicago about to catch a train, but God has told me to phone you. Chicago, waiting for a train. I left him, organization, in 1974. Now it's the year 2000. He said, George, to this George, how are you? I said, I'm having a very hard time. Right, I'm praying for you right now. And I could hear his train come in. So that's part of his secret. George, come and tell us the rest. Well, thank you. Thank you. We, what a great evening we had and the personal feedback I had from uh, many of you who were there is very, uh, very meaningful. And I'm a very uh, relational person. I quickly uh, bond with people. And so I do pray and um, getting their photo helps me pray. I ended up with over 120 uh, photo albums, and then the Facebook came into my life, and uh, it's got very confusing. But um, if any of you have a prayer burden, uh, you can easily email me, and I will pray specifically concerning that. Well, during those years when George and I 
didn't have much, so much contact. I never ceased to pray for him and Allison and his family, especially because Turkey is sort of the number one nation in my life. In terms of my own ministry, India became number one. But as far as the vision, uh, Turkey has always been number one. We just celebrated 60 years of working there. I can assure you above all else, we're not here to just hear the philosophy and the stories of George Verwer. We're here to look into God's word and receive from God's word. And I wanted to share with you this morning some of the most important, so many scriptures have kept me going these years. And I would not be here if I had not made that decision, the same as my spiritual father, that I believe the Bible is the word of God. I almost lost my faith at university. Most of the students around me were overthrowing any kind of biblical faith, um, embracing uh, all kinds of philosophy, even though we're go- they were going into the ministry. Uh, I was not in that stream at that time. And this is before I went to Moody Bible Institute. But I had a lot of questions, things that didn't make sense to me, even in the Old Testament. And I was greatly helped by books like archaeology and the Bible. But I was also helped by the decision that Billy Graham, my spiritual father, made uh, in the midst of his struggles. He just made the decision, this is the word of God. And uh, it is life-changing. It's life-sustaining, especially if you take the difficult verses seriously, like Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. How many of us really believe that? That is so against the culture of our day. John Stott, who became a very close friend, shared before he died. I guess I picked it up on a uh, CD, maybe a cassette, that um, he felt the greatest struggle for the church in the UK, would, and it's true in other parts of the world, Uh, is the exclusiveness of the gospel. Uh, That is so upsetting to the culture of our day that we believe Jesus is the only way. And of course, many, many have abandoned that teaching. Even people who would profess uh, sort of biblical faith and evangelical faith, uh, they've turned away from believing that people that Jesus is is the only way. There must be a second chance, all kinds of crazy ideas uh, to, to escape that difficult verse. I think of also Acts. There's no other name given among men whereby you may be saved. Now, maybe there is some plan that God has, but he's not revealed that in his word. So we need to stick to the revealed word, not some kind of pipe dream that makes us feel better, especially as we get older and we see so many still uh, without Christ. Thank you for responding so well to the books. Those who received the, the gift books last night, and I'll explain it again in a moment. Please, you can't have any more this morning. <laughs> oh, I'll send you a whole truckload if you want books, but not from this table because we're running out. But those who were not there last night, uh, the first two books are a gift Please do not attempt to pay for them, and I will be offended if you don't take them. Imagine offering somebody a gift, and they say, no, thank you. All over the world, all my life, I've received unwanted gifts. 
weird stuff. And our house is full of, I won't go into details, but uh, I learned to be polite and receive unwanted gifts. So if you're anti-books, you're illiterate, you're not going to read, you're already turned off by my American accent, please be polite and take two books as a gift. The one table, they're running a little short, but the other table, uh, there's a lot of books, including outstanding books like Treasure Principle. Just so basic, the whole area of generosity by Randy Alcorn. And my own book, which is a bit tied in with the message this morning, No Turning Back. As one of the scriptures on my heart is Hebrews chapter 12. Seeing we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race with our eyes fixed upon Jesus, laying aside every weight, anything that is hindering us. And this is my book about Running, climbing, keep on going. There's a brilliant book on, that we still have quantities of. Uh, probably one of the very best books on leadership. And I've been so many leadership books, you don't want to think about it. But this is one of the very best. Leading with love. Leading with love. And then a really old book that we have a good quantity of. So you be be, be sure to just... Take one as a gift. After the second book, I don't know how many books will be left, then you can leave a donation, but not for the first two. Priority one is really uh, part of the DNA already of your fellowship. It's the nations. It's making missions a priority. Very few churches. I have just celebrating 60 years of ministering to churches here in the UK. I love the local church, but very few make missions the priority. And one of the reasons is none of our theological colleges make missions a priority. It's all just a little department, one section. And so very few pastors are really committed to global missions. Hallelujah for every exception. And the fact that your leadership is committed to the nations and committed to global missions makes all the difference in the world. And you can be sure I have 60 years of being banned from churches because of the rumor that I recruit even pastors. <laughs> yeah, well, it all goes back to one story. Telling stories can get you in trouble. It's a big church in Chicago, fast-growing, huge church. And the pastor brought me in to speak to the young people. I think we're in the 70s. And his own family, his own children were among the young people. And of course, he had heard uh, the controversial things about me. So he sat quietly in the back spying to see what this radical was going to say and how it would affect his own sons. He had three or four sons and a daughter. And um, anyway, I shared with the young people this message of commitment, missions, discipleship, go to the nations. And God just zapped him. And he left that church uh, within the next year. Uh, it's lucky I didn't get assassinated by the elders. Uh, of course, his sons also joined OM. And that man, I can mention his name, Don Hammond, spent his whole life on Operation Mobilization. He was already an older man, the way we thought in those days. Uh, and yet, uh, God used him and he ministered in more than 50 nations. But just that you may relax, that doesn't happen much. 
And I generally affirm pastors, pastors to stay where they are. When I get to know them, I realize we don't want them anyway. And so I encourage them to just stay, stay where they are and send people who are better equipped to accomplish the job. Of course, present company totally excluded from that. But I think of those words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. And this is another one of the scriptures that I want to leave with you that has so impacted my life. We see Jesus going out into all the towns and villages. Verse 35, chapter 9. And um, that verse alone should impact us. To get off our chair, I could use some slang, but I won't. To get off our chair and get out with people. And to get out with non-Christians. And it's harder during COVID, but it can be done. And I'd encourage you. <coughs> oh, there's my water. Excuse me. I encourage you <coughs> to do anything you can <coughs> to get out. Sometimes even in the villages. The villages generally are more neglected than, than the towns uh, in, this, in this country. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth workers into the harvest. How many of you are specifically doing that? You definitely pray for people from your own church, from anywhere, to go out into the nations, into the harvest. How many are already praying that kind of prayer? Certainly a much higher level than the average church. My own story is that I'm here because of one woman who prayed that kind of prayer. I was not a Christian, but I was unbelievably happy. (laughs) And uh, my parents, my father was a Dutch immigrant. I had a very, very good home, never had an unhappy day, maybe a few unhappy hours. As a child, they always affirmed me. I had a huge ego, and soon I was president of my class. Then I was president of the high school Then I was the head of the athletic association. And, of course, my big thing was girls. I was fascinated uh, with girls. They're just so beautiful. And um, I never got into the big sex thing. Just crazy infatuation with all different girls starting at age around 12. That's the way the culture was in New York City. And so I was really a lost Soul. I went to church. There was a church that was, they didn't believe the Bible. It was like a social club as part of American culture. And some of the best girls, of course, were, were there in the church. <clears throat> I became the president of the youth fellowship. I think I was cuckoo about six different girls. It got really confusing. And, I, and uh, to make a long story short, this woman of God who lived near the high school, secondary school where I ended up going, heard about me and put my name on her Holy Ghost hit list. She not only, and I'm not exaggerating at all, this is all on film if you want to see it, she believes seriously these words we've just quoted. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll go forth, send forth workers into the harvest. So she prayed not only that I would come to Jesus, which would have been a miracle, but she prayed that I would become a missionary. And the real birth of this movement that has reached so many is, is goes back to that praying woman. And I know there are praying women here. 
And I'm sure there are some praying men, and your emphasis on prayer is is beautiful. It's not attractive to present-day culture. And young people, anything you're doing in the area of prayer, God will honor that. And she then sent me. She, you know, she's a woman of action. And she sent me a Gospel of John. We have Gospels of John on that table, by the way. And I'd love to send you a 1,000. I've, I've just got an order of 50,000 more Gospels of John I'm trying to distribute in the UK. UK is also a mission field. Every nation is a mission field. And so anyway, pick up at least a sample from my book table. As I began to read this little gospel, at that time, uh, pornography started to come into my life. As I was working in someone's home and found this man's stash of porno. Not heavy, hard stuff, but it was enough to completely blow me away as a teenager. I didn't know such things existed. So on one hand, uh, this was coming at me, surely the forces of darkness on the other hand, I'm reading this Gospel of John. And God used his word as that lady continued to pray for me. And then other people joined her in praying specifically, especially when I was elected president of the student government, school of about a 1,000. And then in God's providence, Billy Graham came to New York City for one night. Not the famous crusade, it was a couple years later. And a business person offered us free seats on a bus. He hired a bus, a local dairyman, very ordinary guy. And um, that attracted me. I was into free stuff. And I like to go into New York City. And I had this girl. I was really bananas over this particular girl. I thought she might go with me. And so off I went to Madison Square Garden thanks to that business person. The story has never been told of how God has used business people. There's finally a book about it called The Patrons, showing that John, Whit the famous George Whitfield, had a patron. And uh, Whitcliffe, uh, no, Tyndale. Tyndale had a man with money and a boat, and that's how they got the books. He was also martyred. But until this particular book was written, these were unknown people. And from the earliest days, God, right back from my high school, gave me patrons, people somehow that had finance, that loved Jesus, not super wealthy. And this man became one of them. Though first, of course, I had to come to know Jesus, which happened that night, Madison Square Garden, where I heard the gospel in such a clear way. 20,000 people there. Billy Graham calls you to get out of your seat and come forward. What is he, out of his mind? Come forward in front of 20,000 people? And so I just froze in my seat. And uh, somehow God began to work. It's a mystery. I just got up and went forward and trusted Jesus. I've experienced the reality of that in a variety of ways every day. I also had, I'm quite sure as I try to figure it out, a very strong experience with the Holy Spirit. That very night at my conversion, later on I had various other experiences with the Holy Spirit. But it meant that I was saved and sent the same night and started sharing in my high school. This lady had been praying for revival in that high school for over 20 years. Her own children had gone through there, <coughs> all of them godly, but they had not seen excuse me, that breakthrough. <clears throat> and um, 
in God's providence, uh, this was to be a this was to be a breakthrough for that school. In one meeting alone, when I came back during Christmas break, we had a lot of small things going on in prayer meetings. We were only 16 and 17 years old. And uh, when I came back from university for Christmas break, hundreds came out <clears throat> to see what, because most of them expected I would just chuck the whole thing, because I was always into different things. I had different girlfriends, so, you know, Jesus is going to be for one year. <laughs> People were saying such negative stuff about me. You know, and uh, anyway, hundreds came to that meeting, including my father, who was still trying to figure out what is going on with his son has lost his marbles. But uh, about 125 stood in that one meeting in my own high school to believe on Jesus, including my own father. And not only that time, but before and after that, people were scattered from that ungodly secular high school, secondary school, to many different parts of the world, and I was one of them. So I encourage you to press on in your prayer ministry and to pray for individuals. If you get their photo, that can help you. You don't need a photo. But I'd encourage you that if we're going to reach the nations of the world, and we're all we're in the middle of that now. We're not we're not at the beginning. <clears throat> we're way beyond the middle of the whole world, <clears throat> at least <clears throat> having an opportunity <clears throat> to hear the gospel. Um, prayer is going to make it happen. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Uh, pretty well every single day. I pray specifically for people. I'll share one of my prayer requests right now, hoping I get one response. By the way, if you respond, you get a thousand quid. I don't believe in bribery, but in Holy Ghost encouragement. But I am praying I could get at least one recruit to go to our ship. We are short-staffed because of COVID. And um, this is a much bigger ship than our other ships, this ship generally has 400 people. That's counting children. That counts all the crew, engineers. It's called Lagos Hope. The first ship 50 years ago, now almost 51 years ago, was Lagos. As a family, we lived on that ship for a couple of years when we started that ministry, and then we turned it over to, to better people. And soon we had Lagos too, and Dulas. And um, it's an incredible story. A hundred million people have been given the gospel. Forty-five million have been up the gangway. <clears throat> and tens of thousands have come to know Jesus. Hundreds of ministries have been born in local churches. Uh, one is still going strong in Karachi, Pakistan, called Lagos Fellowship. They never asked our permission to use our name. They just, this guy came to Jesus through the OM, one of our OM Merchant Navy guys and he started a church and called it Lagos Fellowship. He actually married a gal from this, I think, from Newcastle. So uh, that's an interesting church. <laughs> Isn't it amazing the way that God works? One woman prayed. And one unlikely character comes to Jesus. But I had a lot of struggles. And I share this purposely because any of you young people... When If you come to Christ as a teenager, you're still going to have lots of struggles. And I was still cuckoo over girls. And how does this work out? And uh, 
I remember leading this one girl to Christ and then kissing her for the next hour and my personal follow-up program. You don't find that in any Christian books. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I won't go into any other stories. The worst one was I had this old car. They don't exist anymore called a Henry J. And you know, when you're 17, a car is a big thing. And I had this new girlfriend. I was completely bananas over her, Margot. And anyway, we were in the car and we went back in the woods and, you know, You've seen this in the American films, right? We're back of the woods necking. Do you know that term? You know, kissing away? We had no plan to have sex. You know, this was taboo in our culture that day. Of course, if you were breaking that taboo. But that, that was, to me, just out of bounds. But kissing, you know, that was a free-for-all. Anyway, <clears throat> the police came. It's one of the worst experiences of my life. They banged on the door. Of course, they were often believed that you were going to have sex in the back of the car. And so uh, he really said, you got to get out of here. He scared me. And little Margot was shaking. And I stepped on the gas and went in the wrong direction. I went into a ditch instead of out. Her father, who was an alcoholic, had given us a, a, a curfew. She needs to be back, I guess, around 10 o'clock. This was a real mess. And um, I ran down the road. You don't have mobile phones. And banged on somebody's door. I said, I got an emergency. My car's broken down. Can I use the phone? I phoned her father. I said, can you meet? I thought, well, he'll meet us out on the highway so we won't see the car. So we went out to the main road. He came. I said, he said, I want to see the car. Where's your, where's your car? I tell you, when he saw the car, that was the end of me. He accused me. That romance broke. And I felt bad about it ever since. I'm supposed to be a Christian. We don't get in trouble. We don't have problems. We just, you know, we just fly along. So my first year was was difficult. And um, I was involved then with another girl. But this pastor of the liberal church said, if you want to kiss your girlfriend, use the church car park. I knew the Baptists wouldn't like it. I was going to the Baptist church. And so, and so I took my girlfriend down to this other uh, church. He's <clears throat> going away, kissing away in the car park. guess I talked to her about Jesus first. <laughs> and, uh, and then God just sent me this. Because she was then very serious. You know, even thinking about long term. You know, I was just, this is recreation. I'm not thinking about any long term kind of thing. So it really scared me. And God just moved in. Isn't it wonderful when God moves in? We're in a mess. Things are going wrong. We've made stupid mistakes. God moved in and he just convicted me. You are addicted. You are addicted to infatuation. You're addicted to romance. You think you're pure because you're not going to bed with him, but you are addicted to infatuation. And God broke me and gave me the discipline to just get free from that. And I made a decision. I'm going to have a two-year fast. Can you imagine? After five or six years of all this kind of romance and the dancing and all, some of it good, some of it bad, to fast, no more kissing. Huh? I have to admit, a, a little bit with a pillow. 
That's when God sent me to Mexico. That's when I learned Spanish. That's when I began to understand spiritual warfare. That's when I began to win many people personally to Christ. And that's when many other changes took place during that two years. And after that first trip to Mexico, when Owen was really born, though we didn't have that name, I left university, which was a huge decision in my culture, and went to Moody Bible Institute, which was despised by people of my particular cultural relationship. Here I am now. I've arrived at Moody Bible Institute. All these girls are born again. (laughs) They're all safe. And boy, there were some beauties there. I was infatuated in, you know, two-year fast. I was very vulnerable, you know. And I was infatuated with about six girls and crying out to the Lord. And um, But I didn't do anything. I was so fanatically committed to evangelism, prayer, getting into the streets. And um, so I didn't bother with any of it. And in God's, but I was praying privately, Lord, what about this verse? Seek ye first your kingdom and all these things will be added. Lord, it's time to add. I want a wife. I need a wife. And then I just left it with Jesus and went out and gave out tracts. But I went to Wren, I'm trying to make this short, a moody science film. And the woman in charge of the film, it just was too much. I stepped out of the elevator at Moody. I'll never forget it. And I saw this attractive woman and uh, my romantic circuits, they blew. And uh, I broke my fast, moved in on the target. I said something completely stupid to her. I said, I think something like, you know, you're, I guess you're not interested in global missions. Uh, all the attractive girls around Moody, they're all pastor hunting. None of them are interested in missionaries. She completely blew her mind why I was saying this. And it didn't get anywhere. And I managed to get her on one date, which was an interrogation. I'm not exaggerating. I was so emotionally caught up with this gal, I thought, this must be a trick of the enemy. Because I was fanatically in love with Jesus and his word and missions. That was my whole life. I wouldn't even hardly talk to a girl if she wasn't ready to go on the mission field. So I thought I'm going to try to scare her just to make sure she's from God. And so in our first date, I looked at her and I said, look, probably nothing going to happen between you and me. But let's, you know, let's be honest. You know, just in case. Hint, hint, hint. Just in case. And I said, I'm going to be a missionary, and if, if you marry me, probably you will be eaten alive by cannibals <laughs> in Papua New Guinea. Someone later told me they didn't feel this was the best method to win a girl's heart. Anyway, she was not interested really in me, but I had an army of prayer partners, and I mobilized prayer, and God broke her heart. A miracle that she ever sort of fell in love with George Furwer. For 62 years, in a few weeks' time, I was just on the phone with her. For 62 years, she's trying to figure out exactly, exactly what happened. But she loved Jesus, and she loved global missions, and my wife has always affirmed me all these years and stood with me one-third of my life away from her. Traveling, take because I was in evangelism and all kinds of things. This work was just growing so fast with so many challenges. And then 
Of course, we all lived on the ship together and we all moved to India together. I could tell you amazing stories about my wife, Drina, who had a very deaf background. Her father was killed in the war. Her stepfather abused her, mainly verbally. And um, I could just... I just pay tribute to her. She loved to be here. Her health doesn't allow her really to travel anymore. But uh, it was a marriage born in heaven. And young person, young people, especially those of you who are still single, the person you marry is so important. Try to scare her away. <laughs> scare him away. <laughs> in other words... Do everything you can to make sure because today so many marriages are broken, including missionaries, and the devil is using that in a powerful way. Now, on the other side of the coin, OM is the first mission agency in history to recruit divorced people. Even as a young person, I thought, how can these people be treated as second-class citizens? And we have seen God use. I could write three books on how God used divorced people. Some of them even who ended up remarried, and including one of the captains of our ship who'd been through divorce when he was a drunken, unsaved man. How can we hold that against him? And he was the first captain of our ship, and he was Norwegian, Norwegian Pentecostal, fell in love with a British, very brethren-type gal, and had a fantastic marriage, became the director of our work in Norway for a while, but the Lord took him home. God uses all kinds of people. And some of you, I'm sure, have been through divorce. Maybe you've been remarried. Maybe you've been rejected by some churches because churches generally reject such people. Let me just tell you, God wants to use you. God forgives. Plan B, plan C. I mean, how many of you think you're on plan A? I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I'm on plan A. But with God, plan B can be just as good. And uh, I had one lady come to me, you know, she was really negative. I think I'm on plan H. I said, look, lady, praise God for a big alphabet. Press on. I didn't know quite what to do with a lady who claimed she was on, she was on plan Z. I'm still trying to figure out what to say to her. I think she was actually from Korea. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into the harvest. He wants to send young people today just as he sent me. Yes, many things are different, but many things are the same, especially human nature. And lads are still going cuckoo over girls. And lads are still dipping into porno. And girls are going cuckoo over boys. And, uh, of course, more, more, more than any time in history, they also uh, so quickly jump in bed together. Whatever you've done, whatever mess you've made, God loves you. He forgives you. He wants to use you. And as a baby Christian, if you fall again, like me, with the policeman banging on the window, maybe just remember my story. God will forgive you. You will learn through that experience. We learn through our mistakes. All of this happened more or less before I was 21. And God was preparing me for something that was very unusual. It was really the birthplace of short-term missions. 
I don't know if you realize how in the culture in those days, young people could not do things like this. They had to wait. They had to behave. They'd keep their mouth shut and go to church. But God was doing a new thing. Some of it was not good. What was going on in our culture as young people became radical. And soon we had the Jesus revolution and all kinds of things that just older people just like threw their arms up. I remember when contemporary and Christian music changed to uh, many, many different people like Larry Norman. Why should the devil have all the good music? And um, this was another hard decision in my life because our culture was against this kind of music. And I just thought, no, no. God wants to use this. God's got his hand on Larry Norman. God's got his hand on... Sooner, soon Graham Kendrick came into the scene, who's a dear friend. And I, I can tell you, the contemporary music, which is what you have here, has been one of the greatest things the Holy Spirit has used in the world today. People sit back and criticize Hillsong. Hillsong is a phenomena, and their music is a phenomena. Of course it's imperfect. Of course the devil has counterattacked. And they've had leaders that have, that have, you know, abandoned the faith. One of them last year. That's all part of the reality of the spiritual battle we're all in. And I can assure you, I don't need to say this here. Satan will counterattack what you are attempting to do here. He especially will try to bring disunity. And I would urge you as a church, guard your unity. Learn, as Swindoll talks about in his book, to graciously disagree about things that maybe you're not on the same page. We have churches splitting now just on the vaccination issue. We have churches splitting on the most ridiculous things. I've got only 60-some years of studying it. I talk about it in my book, Messiology. Messiology and uh, Confessions of a Toxic Perfectionist, all those copies are gone. But if you want more, I could send a whole bundle to the church because I'd love to give these out. That's part of my legacy before I head off to glory. Pray the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth workers. But the other scripture is Isaiah 6, where we have Isaiah having this great worship experience, and God just hits him with his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then he's broken before the Lord. Remember that chapter? Be sure to read it. And Isaiah prays, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Powerful prayer. I prayed similar things many times. And he was set free. He was forgiven. The next verse, the hot coal from the altar came, touched his tongue, and he was forgiven. And then, having that experience, I believe his experience with God, he was able to hear God's voice. And so what did God say to him after he had this powerful experience? God said, who will go for me? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. That's the most overused passage in mission conferences in history. And we always use it to get people to volunteer to be a missionary. And many years ago, the Lord spoke to me that this was the wrong use of this scripture. This was taking it out of context, using it for my own means. doesn't mean God didn't use it, you know, messiology. And I just 
felt strongly from then on I should preach. This is a prayer for every believer. This is a prayer for every believer. Because in the New Testament, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Powerful. As the Father sent me, so send I you. So to me, every believer is a sent one. And I know that at the night of my conversion, God sent me. The start may have been slow, may have been bumpy. There were mistakes, but I was sent. And I saw so many come to Jesus when I was only a teenager. And then was in Mexico at 19 years of age and began to see how the Lord could use even a young person in short-term missions. I beg of you young people, get at least some experience in short-term missions. I really believe in the present mode, one of the best places is on our ship, Lagos Hope. It's a, tra- it's a training program, hard work. And many of the young generation do not know how to do hard work and is disciplined. And the prayer is the heart of the, of the ship life and the word of God. And then reaching out to people. We, of course, have humanitarian service as there are so many suffering people everywhere we go. Don't confuse us with Mercy Ship, which we're very linked with. They have a brand new ship. Their whole ship is just a hospital ship. Ours is discipleship, evangelism with some humanitarian uh, as sort of the third uh, side of the ministry. And if there is someone from this church, because you have to raise your own support, we're part of that movement described as the faith missions movement. Um, uh, I can, you know, you'll get a thousand pounds from me to help start up. Pray the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth workers. We need to see a fresh wave of young people and students going. The present student generation probably is the most ignorant of what God has done through global missions. The story of C.T. Studd that everyone should know, the great Cambridge guy that threw the money to the wind and launched out later when he was an older guy having suffered as a missionary with a lot of crazy stuff, one of the greatest cricket players in all of British history, founded WEC. There's a brand new film about it, about him. Uh, but, you know, the present generation doesn't even know hardly who he is. They will not see his film unless you or I maybe give the DVD or tell about it. Another new film has just come out about Hudson Taylor. Christian films have been a major part of my ministry. I used to always have them on my book tables, but CDs are not so popular anymore. All of these films now are available through one website. I can tell you about it. I used to have to pay 15 pounds to get a CD. Now it's all free on a website. I mean, downloading is one of the hottest, wildest, craziest things. You know, every week I do a blog and thousands of people all over the world have to listen to me for 15 minutes. Well, they can tune me out. I'm sure many do. Let's pray for a new wave of young people to become mission-minded and to get involved at least short-term. It's been proven that short-term missions is the is the birthplace of a high percentage of all long-term missionaries in the last 40 years. So it's just the way that God works. And, of course, short-term missions often is very geared to training. You're not accepted as sort of a full 
you know, full trained missionary. You're accepted uh, to be discipled, to be trained. And this is why tens of thousands uh, of uh, former OMers who started short term uh, ended up serving Jesus in every possible way around the globe. How many of you have already, you were at a missions event, you've already had Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 6 punch you in the nose. How many of you have already prayed, honestly, here am I, send me, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, not as many as I thought, Pastor. I'm going to ask you when I come to the end of my message, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer. And you need to understand primarily, listen, it's saying, Lord, I'm yours, I'm available. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I don't think that's asking too much. When he has died on the cross and shed his precious blood for you. So I believe every believer should pray that prayer. Here am I. Send me. It may be across the street. Many who have stood when I've given this invitation. Um, the Holy Spirit just confirmed. Because the key is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He just confirmed. I've already sent you. I put you in Durham. You need to bloom here. And it's amazing that in my own life, it was in my home high school. It was in the streets of my hometown, selling Bibles door to door, showing films, that somehow I got the foundation for even that first step to go to Mexico. So for most of us here this morning, Durham is where it's at. Let's seek new ways to reach everybody in this whole area with the gospel. At least once. That's not enough. Hudson Taylor said, if giving the gospel once is not enough, what do we say of never giving the gospel at all? And let us embrace every person that comes here from whatever part of the world. You know, how many international students are at this university? Let's love them. Let's embrace them. Often we can't firstly just punch them with John 3.16. Often we need to listen a little bit and feel what they're feeling and what they've gone through and then allow the Holy Spirit to open doors to demonstrate the love of Jesus. Yes, this is a mission field. And what are we going to say of Newcastle or Birmingham or Manchester or ah, Liverpool or London? They're here. Millions, three million Muslims, one million Hindus. They're here from the most unreached places of the world. If we fail to reach those who are at our doorstep, that will be surely one of the greatest failures in the history of the British church. There have been too many. So I believe we can all pray, Lord, here am I. Send me. And it may be only across the street. It may only come over a period of time that the Lord will open for you the door to work in one of the more unreached nations of the world, even with your job. Tent makers get paid in these different countries and they have fantastic opportunities to share their faith. Let's pray and I want to give this special special call. Father, I just thank you for these scriptures that changed the course of my life. Just thank you for that woman that prayed for me. Thank you for your mercy and forgiveness as I stumbled 
especially in those first one or two years with my weaknesses. And Lord, as as we focused on last night, I just knew through all this, you love me. You love me. And Father, you, you have a plan for each and every one of us who are here. Lord, if we miss plan B or with, we, we miss plan C, help us to keep bouncing back and to keep trusting you. And we know in the end there will be the breakthrough. We shall reap if we faint not. So, Lord, I pray that people would be willing right at this moment to pray that prayer of availability, that prayer of commitment. Here am I. Send me. Let's continue in prayer, in private prayer. But if you'll pray that prayer, here am I, send me. I would like you to stand up. I'm not going to call you forward, but I want to pray specifically that this will be a real experience with the Holy Spirit that you will never forget. You have said to Jesus, I am totally available anywhere, anytime by your grace. If you'll pray that prayer, here am I, send me. I'd like you to stand right now. I want to pray for you. God bless you. Some of you have already prayed it, but you want to pray it again. That's okay. God bless you. Yeah. This is an unusual response, but it's because of what the Holy Spirit has been doing here over many years. God bless you. Lord, I just pray for each one standing before you. Lord, I just know their hearts, their hearts are beating after you. They love you. They know this great salvation. And Lord, maybe they're like me have had some stumbling along the way. But Lord, we praise you that your precious blood covers it all. We are your forgiven people. We are your grace-awakened people. And Lord, I pray that some may go soon short-term to other nations. I pray that others might go short-term to various ministries right here in this country. But I pray more for those who are locked into regular employment that have limitations connected with that, that you'll give them new opportunities right in their own city to share your love and your grace. We know, Lord, this is not getting any easier in Britain with the huge prejudice and the gossip against Christians and misunderstandings. But, Lord, we can, with our life, prove that a Jesus follower is different. It's not just a person with the name Christian but is a transformed person demonstrating your precious, glorious life. We thank you. We bless you. Fill each one of us afresh with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. Lord, I just pray for everyone here today, especially anyone that hasn't yet really come to know you personally, and give them the right counselor or person that can sit with them and share and show them this beautiful way of salvation. Lord, you know everything about us and you love us still. So we I just pray your blessing on this whole congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, George.